0: Welcome to URI's podcast series, a podcast proposed by the Armament Industry European Research Group. I am delighted to welcome you to uh, another uh, ARES webinar, uh, the network of uh, European researchers specializing in armaments and defense industrial policy issues. Today we have decided to take uh, as a topic uh, of debate the question of the situation of the EDTIB in times of war, which has to face the question of uh, replenishment, but also other challenges which come from the fact that we are facing the high intensity conflict, which is uh, prolonged in time, and that the EU member states and the European Union itself have decided to supply Ukraine with armaments Mainly ammunition, artillery, anti-tank missiles, and defense, uh, air defense equipment, much uh, most of which has been taken from the stock of EU member states. The challenge of uh, reconstituting stocks, but also the need to move the EDTIB into a wartime production logic, which requires production t- producing faster. And in greater quantities, which requires reconfiguring the industrial tools to adapt to this situation. So to talk about this subject, I have three speakers. Burkhard Schmidt, who is Defense and Security Director at Aerospace and Defense Industry Association, ASD. Didier Gondalier de Tunis, which is a group head of MBDR Brussels office and four with head of unit at the European Commission at the DG Défi. so I'm going to to give the floor to uh, Burkhard Schmidt and ask him uh, of how, how the issue is dealt with uh, all the members of uh, SD in uh, Europe and uh, what problems are encountered uh, that are specific to certain country or certain industrial sector in the film of uh, our moments.
1: So, Burkert, the floor is yours. you you Merci beaucoup Jean-Pierre. Uh, thanks for the invitation. I think it is indeed a very topical issue, uh, and there's a lot to be discussed about that. I mean, uh, to start with, I think uh, it's always good to start with a commonplace, if I may say so. And I think it is important to remember that uh, the war uh, in Ukraine or the Russian invasion of Ukraine uh, took many or most people by surprise. Nobody in Europe was really prepared for that. Neither our societies, nor our economies, not most of the armed forces and defense industry uh, either. So, um, and I guess we all know the situation mm, in many or most member states, uh, armed forces uh, over the last decades were downsized, they were structured and equipped for small scale military operations and uh, asymmetric warfare against enemies that were technologically uh, inferior. Uh, defense budgets were low, um, and defense industries in general were in a certain way put on diet. So uh, defense companies had to operate at best with small production volumes, important development projects were put on hold uh, because they were not uh, considered to be urgent enough or they were considered to be too expensive. So in that situation, Priority for uh, defense industry was, on the one hand, not to fall back technologically uh, and to operate at least at the minimum rate that is needed to sustain the relevant facilities and workforce. And then, out of a sudden, we had Ukraine, uh, a return of large-scale military conflict to Europe, uh, as you have already uh, mentioned it. And although our member states are not uh, under military attack, they support Ukraine militarily, and uh, they had to do that mainly from their own uh, equipment and stock, which, as I said, uh, was uh, quite limited. So, out of a sudden, everyone realized basically what we do not have and how little we have of what we have. Uh, We saw then uh, very soon um, the decision to increase defense budgets quite considerably and uh, to rapidly fill at least the most important capability gaps um, that we have identified. So all this uh, has indeed led to a sudden and very sharp increase of demand for basically all kinds of military equipment. Uh, And it is clear that uh, European industry struggles to satisfy uh, these needs simply because its ability to ramp up uh, uh, to deliver at high tempo uh, um, or volumes is limited after decades of uh, peacetime planning and underinvestment. So in this situation the challenge is from my point of view to induce radical changes under extreme time pressure and to do these changes right. And this is always a challenge if you uh, take decisions under uh, such a high pressure. Uh, I think uh, it is important to take uh, certain short-term actions, and they should not be slowed down. But at the same time, I think it's also important uh, not to undermine long-term strategic objectives. Um, if it is true that we face what has now been called Zeitenwende uh, I think we must move from an industry that uh, is suited for peacetime to an industry that is fit for times of crisis and also large scale conflicts. And to do this, I think uh, that we really need uh, a truly transformational defense industrial strategy. To frame such a strategy, we at ASD have developed uh, what we call uh, the Dirk concept that describes basically four core functions that European industrial base uh, must be able to perform. Uh, DIRC stands for first D, like deliver. Uh, I think that the the European defence industrial base should be able to deliver at all times and under any circumstances, uh, the defence equipment that our armed forces need. uh, And together with the related services. Mm -hmm. Secondly, defence industry should be able to improve constantly key defence technologies and the applications. It should be third, able to react, the R of Dirk, uh, to newly emerging technology trends and breakthroughs. And uh, fourth, it should be able to challenge uh, potential adversaries by developing itself innovative concepts and disruptive technologies. So when we look at the situation today, I think it is uh, an open secret to say that uh, the uh, performance of the European defence industry on these four DIRC functions is rather limited uh, due to fragmentation and years of underinvestment. But in the light of uh, Ukraine, we at ASD believe that the Union and its member states should uh, rapidly prepare a long-term strategy because I think it is important, uh, in spite of the urgency, not to uh, forget about the long-term dimension. So we think that we need a long-term strategy that aims at enhancing uh, the uh, what we call performance of the European defense industry. And to fulfill these objectives, we think that uh, this strategy should First, to combine both existing and future EU policies and uh, um, uh, programs uh, uh, to address um, four to five main priorities. Um, The first priority is um, to build the industrial capacity to rapidly ramp up production when needed. Here, I think that the challenge is really twofold. On the one hand, of course, we have to uh, uh, enhance as fast as possible industrial output now to satisfy the current peak. But uh, at the same time, it's equally important, I believe, uh, to ensure subsequently an appropriate level of industrial preparedness. Uh, I think we should avoid uh, being taken again by surprise in the future. And here, I think one could learn uh, from the European Union's uh, experience with COVID. I think it is important uh, for this preparedness uh, to ensure uh, to sustain um, a certain level of industrial production and development capabilities, uh, also during troughs in manufacturing, huh? because we have seen that in the past that we produce something, at short volumes, and then after that, uh, we don't need the facilities anymore. So how to make sure that we maintain uh, the facilities and the workforce that we need in order to ramp it then up again, if uh, it is needed. I mean, to do this, I think uh, we need uh, to, to take a wide range of measures, huh? uh, it has to do with the production lines, strategic stocks, recruitment and retention of workforce, but I'm sure that we will discuss that uh, in greater detail uh, during the debate. Um, my point here is that uh, what is needed is uh, what I would call a more strategic outlook Uh, that puts uh, far more value on maintaining industrial capacities as a strategic contingency. Mm -hmm. I think this is important, again, with a view to the future, in order to avoid that we run again in a situation like we have it now here. Uh, So this, in a certain way, is a a quantum leap uh, in uh, industry's uh, capacity to deliver. And uh, uh, this, I think, can only work if it is coordinated and supported at the EU level. So the first priority is to build this ramp up capacity. Second um, is, of course, to develop the next generation of capabilities and required technologies. This is important. Again, it's not only about the urgent need now. It is also about preparing the future. And here, uh, when we look at the EU level, uh, the European Defense Fund is crucial and remains crucial. Uh, And uh, we would really call for a considerable increase of the EDF budget uh, in this new security environment and to go back uh, to at least the level that was initially proposed by the European Commission, which is uh, 13 billion euros Third priority for us is to reduce critical dependencies and enhance the resilience of the defense supply chain. Uh, We see that that the difficulties to ramp up uh, production also is, of course, not only a problem uh, (coughs) of uh, the the, the system integrators, but it concerns the whole of the supply chain. Um, And here, again, we have to envisage a a broad range uh, of measures. It has to do with the stability of the lower tier companies. Uh, It has to do with access to critical raw materials and uh, supply of critical components and so on. And here we have at the uh, European level uh, transversal or horizontal initiatives like the CHIPS Act or the Critical Raw Materials Act that I think uh, will be very important also with a view to uh, to, uh, the defense industry. Uh, The fourth uh, priority that we see is, again, to end with a commonplace, if I may say so, to ensure the appropriate public funding. I mean, making, making uh, the EDTIB fit for uh, the new strategic environment will cost money. Uh, we have seen now the increase of defense of the announcement uh, of uh, uh, to, to increase uh, defense budgets. Uh, but at the same time, we also see very high inflation rates. Uh, we see uh, enormous uh, costs for other issues uh, like energy supply diversification and also the long-term support for Ukraine, not to mention the reconstruction. So there will be a lot of pressure on uh, public finances and um, I would not take it for granted uh, that uh, we have now in this new environment the the sufficient, uh, how to say, defense money. I think we should not take that as a given. I think we must make a strong effort to keep here the ambition level high. And uh, we also believe that uh, this should be reflected at the European level. Uh, We will now see uh, the the midterm review of the uh, MFF, and uh, from my perspective, it would only be logical uh, if, uh, in this new uh, situation, we also see an increase of the budget line in the MFF uh, for security and defence. I think this is also very important to make sure that the announced uh, European Defence Investment Programme uh, has really the weight to make a difference. I mean, I could add as a fifth priority access to private funding, but this is not a topic in itself. And for the sake of uh, being short, I stop here and hand over to my colleagues.
0: Thank you. uh, Thank you, Burkhardt, for uh, this uh, presentation and uh, with the five priorities you uh... Uh, you, you have raised, uh, and I think it's uh, interesting that uh, each priority is, uh, is a topic of debate, so it's very interesting. Uh, I will now hand uh, over to uh, Didier uh, Gondalier-De Tunis, group of the uh, MBDA Brussels office, to talk uh, uh, to us about the industrial paradigm shift, and no doubt already addressed a question. Of expectation vis-à-vis
2: the EU and its instruments. Okay, so thank you, Jean-Pierre, and thank you to the RS team to have organized this uh, this seminar on a very interesting and challenging uh, topic. So, yes, I want to address uh, two points: uh, the, the change of industrial paradigm, uh, already touched upon by by Bocart but uh, I will bring the, the MBD vision on that, and also our expectations towards the EU and uh, and the different instrument. All of that seen by a company, uh, which is first a pure defense player, we have no dual use activities, a company which is a a kind of unique model. Working every day to satisfy the sovereign requirement uh, of our home nations and in alphabetical order, France, Germany, Italy, Spain, and the UK, and we are also part of the nuclear deterrence, for example, in France. But at the same time, we, we try also to enable the multinational cooperation between uh, these home nations. And so uh, we are reinforcing also the, the European sovereignty in this way. We are also a company which is a, a European champion, uh, a global leader. And uh, in many cases, the, the really sole European uh, company uh, alternative, as an alternative of uh, non-EU players. And last but not least, you know that MBDA is a prime contractor from uh, missile systems and we all see uh, every day that missile systems have a strategic and decisive influence on the battlefield in offensive and defensive terms. And we also see that there is a critical issue for European countries, but also for other countries like the US between the current level of stockpiles of missile systems and the consumption on the field. So first of all, if I uh, if I uh, focus on uh, this uh, change of industrial paradigm, What we see is that we have now three requirements to satisfy. First, to produce more. Second, to produce faster. And third, to do that now. And this is the the key challenge we have to face. As Burkhardt say, we need not to forget forget that we need also to uh, develop the future capabilities that are required. We know that uh, there are already some gaps some gaps have been recalled in uh, the defense investment gap analysis done by uh, commission and EDA, and, and we share many of the conclusion of this, uh, of this analysis. So it's really important that in current situation, we will have to combine at the same time, mass and high technologies. And uh, we need to focus on the short-term objective, but also not forget the long-term perspective, as Burkhardt, uh, as Burkhardt said. So in the short term, we need to, uh, to, to uh, answer to an increased demand. Huh? It is clear from our own nations, from their allies, and also from their strategic partners. So it is not just a, a European bubble. Huh? It's, it's, uh, it's a more global trend. Uh, I would say that the figure of this increase of demand is not uh, interesting and not important in itself. Uh, what is important is how we adapt to this increase of demand. We have also to keep in mind that for the moment, this increase in demand has still not really materialized in firm order. And this is a key point we need need to keep in mind. So to answer to this increase of demand, we need to consider what response is required. What are the industrial, technical, and contractual conditions to fulfill these new requirements? And as we are considering now three stages, Peace time before twenty fourth of February, crisis time now, and maybe in a war time, even if we don't expect that, how we move from one stage to another, and at which speed we move to one stage to another, without creating any disruption, any industrial disruption. We have to admit that uh, we need to answer to this question because today's situation is not satisfactory. Uh-huh to this situation is a result of a policy of keeping production rates and volume to a minimum, production rates and volume, and also cost huh, between us. So to ramp up production, that presuppose of being able to act on two main axes: On the one hand, to act on production quantities, how to produce more, and on the other hand, to act on production cycle deadlines, how to produce faster. To answer to this question, we need first to identify the maximum and the minimum production rate targets, because an increase in production rates will then be expressed in terms of skills, in terms of human resources, and in terms of adaptation of the production methods. Second, we need to determine the length of the production cycles and the maximum potential for reducing these cycles. And third, as I already said, we need to evaluate the time necessary to move from one stage to another, to move from a minimum production rate during peacetime to a higher rate during crisis or wartime. Uh, I want to be clear also on one point. This is that this, uh, this will necessarily be done through an ecosystem approach. Uh, it's not just prime contractor and, and, and suppliers because the ramp-up of uh, the prime contractor is really dependent on the capacities and the constraints on our supply chain. As far as MBDA is concerned, we design missile system, we develop missile systems, but uh, we integrate a number of equipment, sub-assemblies that are produced outside of MBDA. And just for example, in France, we have more than 1,200 suppliers just for France. So let's imagine for the five home nations we are. So clearly the speed of our ramp up will depend on the ability of our suppliers to meet our orders, to recruit qualified and skilled personnel. And I will come back on that because it's also an issue where we can have some EU added value and to finance their industrial tools. And we need to remind that they have to do that also in a context where their activities have already contracted during the COVID crisis. So it's one crisis after another. To improve the current situation, we are currently discussing a number of potential avenues of work with our national authorities. As you know that some countries have launched economy de guerre, war economy exercise in order to embrace all the parameters of this change of paradigm. So the work is in progress. And I just want to mention a few of these uh, potential avenues that are promising. So the first avenues is that it is essential to keep the production line open for industry to avoid production stoppage and restarts because production stoppage and restarts are costly in terms of budget, in terms of schedule, and once again, in terms of loss of skills. And this can be done by favoring global multi-year contract at national level, but also multinational orders. And this is where Edirpa and future EDIP could also bring a real added value. To keep production lines open can also be done by ensuring a sufficient and constant volume of production, mixing national and export orders. And we need also to take into account this uh, export share. of uh, of our revenues and uh, export uh, sales is really a part of the business model of European defense industry. A second potential uh, avenues of work and already mentioned by Burkhardt is uh, the possibility to build up stocks. But having said that, many questions then arise. What kind of stocks are we talking about? Stocks of components, stocks of raw material, stocks of equipment, stock of strategic sub-assemblies. The second question is, what is the right volume of such stocks? The third question is, at which level of the valuation these stocks will be the most useful, at prime contractor or at uh, at supplier's level? The key question is also, what are the main principles of governance and fund- funding of such stocks? And last but not least, uh, when these stocks are built up, how we optimize, optimize the management of this stock uh, and creating a kind of rolling stocks to satisfy once again, national orders and export orders. The third potential avenue of work is clearly to challenge the conventional procurement, development and manufacturing processes. There is clearly a need to simplify the expression of operational requirements to what is really needed. And then, consider answering future operational requirements by technological insertion and spiral development. There is a need to reduce the delays related to contract negotiation and also to streamline qualification and certification processes. And there is a need to simplify the regulation because we know that the number of norm standards coming from the civil world apply also to the the defense product last but not least we should be ready also to consider prioritization preemption mechanisms in order in certain uh, moment to give priority to the defense customer when there is a competition for access to supplies with civil customer all the more when defense needs are marginal in terms of business and also technically complex so in four words, i would say that globally industry need visibility predictability simplification and prioritization it remains first essential to rely on precise operational scenarios related to the quantities and deadlines required for a specific weapon systems so it's a weapon system case-by-case case analysis that needs to be done and if we have a clear demand a clear priority request we will then be able to provide guidance to all actors of our ecosystem on a well-defined object. It should also be clear that everything, every adaptation will have a cost, and receiving public orders is therefore a prerequisite for engaging higher and quicker manufacturing. As you know, and hopefully, uh, production and trade of weapon systems are forbidden. We are not in a civil market. Maybe now just a few words about uh, our expectations towards the EU and the EU instrument, and maybe to facilitate also uh, the transition with, uh, with, with Anne. Uh, as MBDA, we have supported from the outset and at our level, the definition and implementation of the European defense agenda and the setup of all the European defense instruments. And it's quite obvious from our perspective because multinational cooperation is part of our DNA since our creation. We have been created to generate and implement multinational cooperation. Today, we actively contribute to give substance to three PESCO capability projects, BILOS, TWISTER, small scalable weapons, meaning long combat capability, counter-hypersonic capability, and loitering munition capability. So high capability, very relevant in the current geostrategic context. We are also leader, or main partner of 21 PIDR, EDIDP, and EDF project. So we are committed to make this instrument a success. For us, in the current context, the European defense instrument, and more generally European public spending, should now demonstrate their effectiveness. And we think that a culture of results shall more than ever be promoted, which presupposes a high degree of relevance between the implementation of the instrument and their stated ambition. The critical question be, being, what do we want in terms of concrete outputs in the end? We are still collectively in a kind of learning curve. Huh? And, and we think that it is nevertheless important to already draw some lessons learned from the first project and to identify also ways of improvement, because it is a constant improvement. And maybe we can uh, we can discuss uh, more, more broadly this issue in the the discussion. But we think that we need a more concrete articulation between PESCO project and EDF project, which is not so clear at this stage. We need an EDF and we support EDF, but we need an EDF more strategic and more efficient to have a significant and decisive impact on the capability landscape and the industrial competitiveness. And obviously with regard to EDIRPA and EDIP, we fully support the setup of this new instrument because as I said, all efforts enabling demand consolidation and predictability do respond to our own needs. We know that a number of criteria and implementation condition are still to be worked out. It's a normal way of life. We know also that uh, important negotiation are taking place at council level and then at parliament level. And from our perspective, I would like to underline two critical points regarding this instrument. First, for us, it is really important that the scope of EDIRPA and future EDIP shall focus on weapon systems developed under a genuine European design authority, manufactured and supported by industrial stakeholders based in Europe, and for which also European stocks are depleted as regards EDIRPA. We think that the new value for EU mini principle shall apply this kind of instrument and secondly we think that the implementation of this instrument should be simple and straightforward relying on existing and already proven national or multinational procurement structures this is for us a condition for the instrument to be attractive for industry and to be attractive also for member states and mainly for less big member states and bureaucratic red tape should not diminish the attractiveness of the 500 million euro that will be put on the table in the short term. Maybe to conclude, and uh, this is another point that we, we can debate after, uh, we still need also to remain collectively attentive to the questions related to the acceptability of defense industry. We know that there is less criticisms in current moment, but we know that it just imposes huh? Uh, We all know the potential impact of current ESG dynamics, so Burkhardt raised the point of access to finance. I will mention something which is more worrying from our point of view, is the impact on the recruitment, the impact on the attractiveness of young talents, because we need young talents to develop the future capability. And you know that human resources are really the first resources of an industry. So I think we need collectively to to develop a positive narrative on defence industry. We are trying to do so at ISD level, and we need also to ensure a strong consistency between the public policies that are developed at EU level. and And we know that DGDF is already committed to to, to foster this uh, this consistency.
0: Okay, thank you, uh, thank you, uh, Didier. I think that no, uh, there is a, uh, there are a lot of uh, a question on the table to uh, to adapt uh, to adapt the EDTIB. Uh, perhaps uh, before to uh, to give the floor to one four uh, just uh, to, to say that uh, that after the speeches we will move on the question and answer session so uh, I would ask you to the public to put your question in writing in the chat room and I will then take this question and put them to the to to the speakers so i will now uh, hand over to to n4 which is with the uh, head of unit european commission uh, uh, dg uh, with the speech of Burkhard schmidt and didier gondalier i think there are a, a, a lot of uh, uh, questions uh, some are uh, in the in, still in the basket of the, uh, of the DGDFI specifically on the question of the of the replenishment and, and I think we will develop this, uh, this point. Uh, but there are also the, the, the question of the, uh, of the adapting of the EDTIB which is not only a question of, of, of replenishment. Uh, so uh, I don't know what is and perhaps you you will tell us, uh, the thinking of the, uh, of the DGDFI, of the, of the subject, but I will ask also a question but also to the other uh, panelists, uh, which is the question of the coordination of the EU member states on this question because uh, of course it could be a question for the for the European Commission or uh, the European defense Agency but also and uh, perhaps uh, uh, in the first uh, first time for the EU member states. Um, think to the question of the economic guerre, uh, war economy, uh, the French uh, term of uh, Emmanuel Macron. So uh, Anne-Four, the floor is yours.
3: Merci beaucoup, uh, Jean-Pierre Moni, and, and a good uh, afternoon to all. Yes, indeed, a lot has been already said, and I think uh, on the side of the European Commission, we share very much the... Uh, Diagnosis that was uh, highlighted both by Burkhardt and Didier on the challenges that the uh, European defense industry faces, uh, looking in particularly at the implication of uh, the return of uh, high intensity conflict of, on European soil. So I think I will not, uh, I, w- I will maybe repeat a little bit some of the uh, elements that were highlighted by the two previous speakers, but I will try to focus on uh, the answers that we try to provide at European level. And I think uh, I think it's very interesting what you just mentioned uh, Jean-Pierre is that of course uh, EU level is is one level but of course we have a very important level which are the member states level and what we need to try to do at the EU level is to provide EU added value uh, and and I will explain so far how we have tried to do this to do this through promoting cooperation and, and coordination we cannot replace we are not here to substitute member states but we can try to uh, gain efficiency and and to promote a, a more integrated uh, defense landscape in Europe. So uh, it was already said that uh, the the European defense industries uh, is characteristic by uh, certain challenges. Uh, I would like to recall, and this is something maybe that we have not uh, so uh, that, that was not said maybe uh, before, is that really it's a it's a fragmented landscape. If you look at the European defense uh, industrial and technological uh, basis, you have a fragmented demand, you have very low level of cooperation between Member States, and I think this is very, uh, this is really detrimental also to the supply side, to the industrial base, so Member States still uh, very much work on a national basis uh, with national procurements, the level of uh, common defense investment remains very low at 8%, very far from already the 35% benchmark that Member States collectively committed to. Uh, so that's that's a, a first issue, and also on the on the supply side, maybe with the exception on the uh, of the missile uh, uh, industry and the aeronautics industry, the supply side is also very much um, fragmented uh, along uh, national lines, which uh, also is a challenge for the competitiveness uh, and the innovation capacity of of the industrial base. So I think that coupled with years of underinvestment, this was mentioned by Bocart. Uh, leads to a, a situation where, uh, as, as it was previously dis- described, the defence industrial uh, basis in Europe is not able to deliver on on the, the current needs of the surge of demand, and and will need to uh, to ramp up uh, fast to be able to meet uh, to address and to meet the needs of uh, of the member states. So, what have we done uh, in the EU to try to sustain the competitiveness and the innovation capacity and the the DIB and also uh, lately to try to sustain its adaptation to a structural change because I think we can say that with the unprovoked aggression uh, of Ukraine by Russia there is a structural change in terms of uh, you know, uh, Europe uh, defense in Europe and also for European industry. I will just say some words first, maybe to start on the longer term with the European defense fund. It was already mentioned by the previous speakers here. What we have tried to do is really to uh, to incentivize cooperation, cooperation between industrial actors. So really to try to de- de- defragment. So and I think uh, and, and and I I can very well hear that we will have to to um, draw lessons learned from the first years, but with the uh, Preparatory Action on Defense Research, with the European Defense Industrial Development Program, and with the European Defense Fund, we have tried in a progressive way to see how we can use EU budget, and this is the first time it was done, to really promote cooperation in the research of development of defense products and technologies. This is something new. Uh, This is uh, a new program. We are uh, all working collectively, I mean, in the commission, but also with with industry, with member states to make it uh, a success. There are challenges, but I think we have already very positive results in the sense that we are already financing a project involving a large number of entities from a lot of member states. I think the origin on average is from eight different member states. We have managed to open supply chain. So here the integration is slowly taking place. Uh, and we can of course discuss how we should make it uh, more efficient and maybe more strategic. But I think it's it's a first step in, in defense uh, research and development uh, that, um, that really is aiming at having more integration, more cooperation. So if we look at the, at the new situation where we have, uh, as was explained, a, a surge in demand uh, here, uh, what we have tried to do, and, and, and it was following the call by the European head of state and government in Versailles to produce this defense investment gap analysis and to propose new measures to support the DTIB, what we have uh, done first in this investment gaps analysis was really to try to identify the financial gap, the capability gap, we are still lacking in Europe, some key strategic enablers and the industrial gap uh, that we, we, we just described. And we have proposed a series of measures to try to tackle, I would say, um, uh, the lack of coordination on the demand side of the industrial uh, defence industrial basis. We have, uh, we have an increase of defence budget, the risk is that if member states go solo in procuring uh, the equipment that they need and that they urgently need also following transfer of equipment to Ukraine, we will further fragment uh, the European defense, industrial and technological basis. Plus, we risk also, and this is something that is also a characteristic of the to have, uh, you know, we, we risk having member states. Buying from outside uh, the EU, so not investing in the DTIB. So an increase in defense budget not always or not systematically automatically means more investment in the DTIB, and also to create new dependencies uh, for the for the defense industry. So to avoid this um, uh, uncoordinated uh, increase in demand, we have pro- we have taken two uh, pro- we have taken two measures. We have. Established together with the European Defense Agency and the European External Action Service, a task force on joint procurement, Uh, the idea behind it was really to uh, uh, provide a forum for Member States to exchange on their common needs for the most critical and urgent. um, Defense products Uh, and and there has been a series of meetings and and to, to try to assess with Member States also the. The, the potential for cooperation in the procurement of the most urgent and critical defence products. We will have a second phase that will be geared towards industry, where we want to show that the defence European industry has um, has already developed products to meet the demand. And I think sometimes member states. Uh, need to be recalled about the the offer that uh, can uh, be uh, pr- produced by European industry. So we will do a kind of mapping of the industrial uh, defense capabilities that would be needed to meet uh, the, the 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 needs that we will have identified in the task force. So this exercise, I would say, it's not a legislative exercise. It's not. It doesn't involve funding, but it's really a place where we want again. To have coordination as a priority, coordination between member states and also to try to um, give more visibility to the uh, industrial capacity and also to identify when we would have bottlenecks or really a need to ramp up in a certain a specific sector. So that's what one measure that we put in place and we are now currently developing it. It's something new. Uh, we are testing also new grounds here And the second measure we have uh, put forward is we have adopted a proposal for regulation on EDIAPA that uh, Didier mentioned. And here, uh, what we are doing is actually, again, to use the EU budget to promote cooperation between member states that are willing to go for common procurement for the most urgent and critical needs. That's the first condition. But to get the EU budget, if they do common procurement from the European defense industry. Uh, this is an industrial initiative we want to help Uh, the industry to adapt um, to the new situation, and how do we want to do that? We are indeed addressing the uh, visibility element that uh, Didier was mentioning. The industry to adapt needs from orders. We want member states to coordinate their demands, so to structure also There needs to be able uh, to allow the industry to to prepare itself. And if you look at our regulation, we have um, also, we we have a certain number of criteria and award criteria that also aim at speeding up things, speeding up things also at the level of member state. It takes too much time to agree on a common procurement. We know that common procurement are complex, risky, they take time. So we try to encourage member state to go faster also in their uh, government to argument uh, agreement in the way they run their common uh, procurement process, and so the idea was, was really to give them EU budget to offset, if you want, the the cost of cooperation, the 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 burden of cooperation, to really convince them to go uh, and 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 uh, team up with at least two other member states. So we have a minimum. Uh, participation uh, number of three. So this is one uh, proposal that we have made, uh, put on the table. And to ensure that uh, this increased and coordinated demand will actually uh, benefit uh, the DTIB, we have uh, proposed to follow the same kind of logic as in the European Defence on the... um, So we have some funding provisions that that are linked to the contractor that needs to be established in the EU. Have their managing structure and EU use uh, assets and resources in the EU and should not be controlled outside the EU with certain derogation, uh, such as in the uh, EDF. So that's the first proposal. Uh, we are indeed now currently uh, discussing this uh, with uh, member states in the Council. Uh, we also want this to be uh, easily implementable. We are we are we have um, proposed to not to follow a cost-based approach but a, a more novel approach that would that aims at facilitating the implementation. We will see whether we manage. It's again, something new that we are testing. We want to see whether we can, thanks to the EU budget, really convince member states to think collectively to also uh, have this coordination effect that you were mentioning uh, Jean-Pierre before I started uh, my intervention. So that's one thing. And, And for the future, of course, we want to have a more stable instrument uh, to sustain um, uh, joint procurement involving the VAT waiver and, and also EU budget uh, to really make sure that we have more coordination and again investment in the TID. So here, this is what we have proposed uh, to do for the demand side. But of course, I hear and, and this was very well explained by, by the two previous speakers on the need also from the industry to 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 to, um, to ramp up the need to have you know. Um, to double production facilities or to increase their production facilities to have supply chains that can also follow the rhythm access to critical raw materials the issues of skills was, was mentioned and here what we are trying to do is also to benefit from a certain number of instruments that are also launched by our colleagues in the commission like the critical raw material act uh, or you know the the uh, also the the Presidents announced that next year would be the European Year of Skills and see how we can make sure that the defense sector is also uh, has a place in these initiatives. And sometimes maybe, you know, I think we have to think whether it should not be a, a, a specific uh, place because it's a strategic sector. So we are now uh, currently uh, reflecting on how to make sure that the, the defense sector, a strategic sector, is served and is able to get access to raw materials. And to the skills also. This is a, and I think this is a very interesting uh, issue, and I, I'm I'm very happy that uh, uh, Didier mentioned it. And I, I really can't also uh, we have an instrument uh, that we have not used uh, um, in, uh, enough until now, which is the pack for Skills, which is a, a, a structure, and I think we really try we we should really try to engage. And it's a call also to, to, to the ASD and to the European industry to work collectively and see what we can do uh, for uh, to, to attract skills, uh, not only engineers, but also to make sure that, uh, you know, the ramping up uh, can be done because we have enough skilled workers. And and you were uh, talking about the attractiveness of the, of the defense sector. And I, I think it's really an, an aspect where I think collectively we could try and where we could also... Uh, have an EU-added value by promoting that at uh, the the scale of the European Union. And and, uh, you also mentioned, uh, I think, um, other issues like uh, uh, access to finance and and make sure that we invest and we sustain the investments. And I think the previous speaker mentioned that it's costly. Uh, We won't be able to to have this new paradigm without uh, increased investments. Uh, There are also... um, Uh, the announcement of a a sovereign fund at EU level that was made by the President of the uh, Commission in in her State of the Union speech. Uh, Our Commissioner, uh, Commissioner Breton, also um, made it very clear that he would like this type of fund to benefit also the defence sector. These are new initiatives, we need to think how we to put that in place, but really I think the message was uh, clearly heard that we need to take account of the new situation, We need to take into account of the specificity of the defense sector as a a strategic sector. And these are new avenues that we are currently working on to to try to also sustain, I would say, the supply side of the uh, EDTAB after having taken the first steps to coordinate uh, the demand side. So I think it's, it's, um, I mean, there are many uh, elements that were were mentioned. I would just uh, conclude on the uh, consistency between all policies. Uh, I think that the Commission uh, was uh, made very aware of the need for consistency by by the external stakeholders. Uh, I think this is something, and with also the creation of of a dedicated directorate general within the Commission, we also try to, uh, you know, um, alert about the specificities uh, of the defence sector. On the one hand, we want the defence sector to be mainstream, not to be put aside. But we also need to recognise its specificities. So it's something that we have started, that we will continue to do. And I think uh, we will only succeed if, uh, if we also have, you know, uh, the backing of member states, because we are all talking about increasing budget for the EDF, increasing budget for, you know, an instrument on joint procurement. But it means that both Member States and Parliament need to agree to have more money given to the EU level to do that. So I think it's uh, it's a right time now to start also uh, spreading the word uh, with the budgetary authority uh, in the European Union. And I will stop here. Thank you very much.
0: Okay. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, Anne. I will take the question and answer, but I have not a lot of questions for the moment. Uh, but perhaps I will break the, the ice on the question of the question answer. In, in April, uh, with RS, we, we published a, a, a tribune, and the global view was the, the risk to have a renationalization with the, the, the Russian war and the fact that the, the, the budget was growing. On the question of the adaptation of the EDTIB. Uh, I ask the question to all the panelists, uh, do you see today talks between member states on uh, the way they have to adapt their national DTIB, because it's still, in some case, national DTIBs. With MBDA, it's a transnational DTIB, and perhaps it is interesting to know if there are talks between France, Italy, Germany and also an EU country, uh, uh, UK uh, on the adaptation of the on the DTIB. And, and uh, I don't know if uh, Anne has, has also has some uh, feedback on the this, uh, potential talks between the, the, the EU member states on the adaptation. And my second question is perhaps also on uh, another aspect, it's a question of the security of supply. Be- because certainly, uh, we need with the current secure situation uh, to have a more robust security of supply because if you want to product more uh, uh, quickly but uh, if uh, one part of the supply chain in another country is not able to deliver uh, what is ne- necessary but so it, it, it breaks the all the uh, all the objective so uh, what is? Uh, uh, what is your uh, first your feedback on this question, uh, and also your thinking, of course,
3: uh, on the risk of renationalization? You mentioned that, and I think this is something we are also feared, and that's why you know we we were uh, a bit concerned that uh, the announcement of the increase of defense budget would lead to actually uh, an uncoordinated uh, approach by member states in their in their procurement uh, projects, and that you know I think what we were uh, fearing uh, the most also is that. The member states with the bigger uh, means would dry out the industrial capacity to the detriment of member states that may not have the same level of means and that are sometimes also member states that are very much exposed to the new situation so this is really also having this in mind uh, that we have uh, put on the table uh, the proposal of the joint defense procurement task force and uh, the ADFA proposal so i think this is something that uh, wanted to avoid we have we have as i said taken in the past some measures to try to contribute to uh uh, improve the um, and 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 decrease the fragmentation of the sector and we were very much concerned that with the new situation actually this would this could lead to an even more fragmented uh sector so that's just a comment on this uh, risk of renationalization uh, whether we see today talks between member states on the way they have to adapt their national EDTIBs, it's true that for the moment, the talks between member states, at least what we see from, uh, from, from this, is very much on, on the issue of procurement. I mean, they have uh, also an emergency to, uh, I mean, it's very much linked because if you want to be able to procure, you need to make sure that uh, the industry is able to, uh, to ramp up and, 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 and produce. So we, have, we we see, and this is also, that was also the objective of the task force, uh, member states talking about their needs. and and uh, But then I think the next step will be indeed to think collectively on how to adapt uh, the defense industrial and technological basis to this new war economy. And this is something that in our view still needs to happen. We have seen also that some member states are more advanced than others in this kind of thinking. But I think this will be indeed, we have started on the demand side, but we have very uh, soon to start the discussion on, on the supply side and then for the question of security of supply it, it's key because we want to uh, promote integration we want to uh, promote coordination but we need to have a, a a reliable supply chain and and this issue and and certain member states may have the tendency to say i don't want to take the risk of having suppliers outside uh, my territory because i want to also have more grip on the security of supply. So this is always a tension if we want to have more cooperation, it has to be coupled with sufficient trust and certainty as to the security of supply. So that's something also that, uh, and I think all the measures to uh, secure, I would, for all industry, you know, to try to improve the, the, the access to raw materials, uh, the strategy we have that could help, you know, Increase also and 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 um, reinforcing supply chains, but the issue of security of supply is always a very uh, sensitive uh, issue, and it's uh, it's it, I think it's at the core of uh, of the cooperation. If we don't manage to to address this, and we are we are we are in the past there were some tentative between member states who have agreement. There uh, we we try also to see how we can reinforce uh, supply chains in Europe, but uh, I would say we don't have all the elements of the answer yet.
1: Can I come in, Jean-Pierre? Yes. Hi. Uh, <clears throat> on these two issues, uh, coordination um, and uh, security supply, I mean, a co- coordination is, of course, a must, but uh, it remains difficult. Huh? Uh, I don't think I don't have any information about uh, discussions between member states for that. I'm too much uh, in the Brussels bubble. Uh, but I think uh, coordination is not only necessary between member states. Huh? Uh, I agree just remain for a second with member states. I agree that there is this risk uh, that we go even more national. And this in itself is already a bit of an euphemism because after all, we all know that European cooperation still has been more the exception than the rule. And we we, we started to to change that with EDF and these initiatives. And the fear is that we even go further down as compared to what we already had. And uh, this risk is clearly there. And uh, um, I really appreciate the Commission's uh, attempts to, to, to do something against that. Huh? But I also believe that it is not uh, only for member states to coordinate their actions. I think we have to improve coordination uh, at, at all levels. Uh, I mean, with a view to member states, it is really absolutely uh, crucial, in particular with a view to a long-term perspective. If we go down that road that I mentioned in my introductory statement, uh, that we 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 make the EDTIB more robust, uh, that we 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 set the ground for the capacity to ramp up in the future uh, if need be, there is really a risk that uh, this how you say um, not only leads to more fragmentation. But uh, um, how do you say, make it even more stable, this fragmentation, because if the French government uh, uh, makes sure that uh, uh, its industry can supply her uh, in in a future crisis or so, uh, this is one thing. If the German government does the same with its own industry, uh, it's another thing. Uh, So the more we return towards a long-term approach, the more uh, I see the risk of this national fragmentation staying there forever and uh, getting stronger and stronger. Uh, So this is for me an additional reason to really coordinate that at an EU level and not only to focus on the short-term coordination here for the most immediate uh, needs. Um, But again, I think coordination is also important um, even within the European Commission, by the way. Uh, um, uh, I think it is important if we want to come to what I called for uh, a strategy. Uh, I think uh, all the different initiatives must come together. Uh, we see DERPA, we see then in the future EDIP, uh, we have the different proposals for the CRM Act uh, and uh, the things that I mentioned before. I mean, all these things uh, really need to be coordinated uh, and put into the same direction. And I know that this is a big challenge, but I think this, again, is also more important than ever. So coordination within the European Commission. Um, I also believe that we need more coordination, sorry for that uh, commonplace as well between EU and NATO. Uh, I think this will become even more important uh, when I listen to uh, the results or so of uh, the uh, NATO defence ministers meeting yesterday. <clears throat> I mean, defence planning, uh, in particular for these kind of crises, uh, is done in NATO. It's interesting that, I mean, what are the terms that we use these days? Uh, We talk about deterrence. uh, (coughs) We talk about territorial defense, and this is typically NATO's core business. Uh, So I think mass uh, defense planning also um, for these kind of issues will be done in NATO. Uh, And here it is important to coordinate with the European Union because the European Union and the European Commission in particular has the industrial means to follow up. Uh, I think uh, this should also uh, get a new uh, quality. And then I think it's also important to have coordination between the commission and member states. Um, To give you an an example, I mean, yesterday, again, the German-led initiative uh, to cooperate in the area of um, missile defense. Mm -hmm. And to do that, not on the basis of new developments, but off the shelf, basically we procure together. This makes me immediately think of the current (laughs) European Commission initiatives at and then maybe Edipa. Uh, when I, again, look now, it's still very vague, huh, this uh, intention, uh, but if uh, the Germans in particular stick to the Israeli uh, missile mm, as one element of the system of systems, um, how would that fit into uh, a European EDIP? Mm? Uh, if you have 15 member states procuring together, I mean, uh, you have a lot of joint procurement Uh, but you have elements in there at least elements that are not european so uh, how to manage this is also interesting to see uh, with a view to 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 to, uh, the future Uh, again maybe the fact that we talk about a system of system uh, may even uh, open the door to 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 solutions or so but i think it will be interesting test cases for the future and the last word on security of supply just as a reminder uh, i remember in uh, 2013 hmm, the uh, European Council in its December conclusions gave a mandate to the European Commission hmm, to develop a roadmap for a a EU-wide security uh, of uh, supply. Uh, I don't know what the exact term was. Uh, This has never been followed up Mm -hmm. I mean, now maybe, uh, I don't know whether uh, these conclusions have a natural end, (laughs) but I mean, it it may be the right time now uh, to come back to that mandate mm, and to to develop really a fully fledged and comprehensive uh, EU security supply system. Uh, So again, if I were at the commission, I would uh, maybe take that up as a possibility again to bring the different strands together. From my side, and
2: many things have already been said, and I concur with what I've been said, I think uh, as MBDA is concerned, we are in a specific situation because as I said, we were created uh, through a shared willingness from our home nations, uh, five home nations, and from industry to, to create this uh, transnational company, integrated company in order to generate and implement uh, cooperation uh, programs. So, uh, so our focus and our remit remain the same. Huh? We still want to uh, continue to foster this uh, multinational uh, cooperation. And, and we know that a number of capabilities uh, will not be developed uh, by one single nation. Huh? When we talk about missile defense, we know that it's a, it's a collective effort which is needed. After I agree also, and we said that, huh, Burkhard, uh, and I said that also, uh, we need to combine this short-term and long-term perspective. And we need to see uh, what will be the impact of short-term decision on, on the long-term perspective. So it's good to procure a non-EU solution uh, for some countries, but uh, what will be the, the impact on, uh, on uh, the European defense industry on its uh, added value, on its uh, technological added value, social added value, economic added value, and sovereign added value. So we know that the political game is, is very dynamic in this moment, but we really need to combine short term and long term, and not just to focus on uh, on short term aspect. On the security of supply, uh, I would say that uh, and and the necessity to enlarge the supply chain, it it will be done step by step. Huh? Uh, it it's principle of reality, uh, and and obviously uh, some tools such as IDP and now EDF can allow to do that. Huh? And, and we have also a positive uh, example to, to illustrate this fact in one of our projects, uh, we integrate and we discover a, a new Belgian SME, uh, which brought a real European added value. And this SME uh, is discovering the different world. So uh, I think maybe it would be good. Also as part of the lessons learned because you have uh, some, uh, so, so, some points of difficulty, but you have also some good points. I think, as part of the lesson learned, it, maybe it would be useful to uh, to illustrate this enlargement of supply chain as a result of uh, the ongoing EDIDP and uh, and future IDF project.
0: Thank you. But no, I have a, a, a lot of questions. Perhaps I, I, I would take those on the on the procurement process. There is a question who says that the has mentioned that he, what is needed is less red tape and. Uh, but process as well as alignment with existing procurement uh, practice. And so there is a question of the uh, uh, the EDF process on uh, uh, procurement. And so the question is, should the Commission therefore not rather look to existing procurement frameworks than the EDF for inspiration? And perhaps I will add that the question is also asked to the EU member states to speed up the, 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 the procurement process And perhaps also to to coordinate more the national procurement process. So a lot of questions.
3: (laughs) Maybe if I can start on this, uh, because I think it's also uh, addressed to the Commission. Uh, Just to mention that in ADFA, we are not uh, putting in place a new system for procurement. Uh, We are um, telling member states that they can use uh, the usual instrument for procurement. So it could be a lead nation, it could be the use of OCAR, it, it could be the use of the European Defense Agency, it could be the use of the NSPA, provided that uh, all conditions of the regulations are met. So we are not putting in place an additional new structure for procurement. What we are uh, trying to do with our proposal uh, is to first incentivize member states to team up and invest from the European Defense industry. and, and and I think this is very important to uh, to to mention. We are not creating a new structure for procurement. Uh, uh, we we there are there are um, structures, there are bodies, there are uh, uh, agencies that do uh, common procurement and it's up to member state to decide what type of. Uh, instrument they want to use, what kind of uh, procurement agents they want to use to uh, run their uh, procurement uh, process. This being said, I think I saw the the question on on the link with EDF. What we have uh, put in EDF is, as I was mentioning, some conditions on the contractor. So we still expect uh, member states to uh, do things a bit differently than what they used to do. So first we we expect them to uh, cooperate and we expect them to uh, procure from the uh, defense industry. And I think because what we are doing here is really to, again, support the competitiveness and the ability of the European defense industry to adapt itself. It's not just common procurement for the uh, sake of government, procure, uh, government procurement. And and I think when Borkart um, uh, was asking the link between the, the need for coordination between EC uh, and you know what is happening, uh, uh between member state i think it's it's always the decision of member state what they want to buy we are not interfering uh, with that but we tell them we need to invest in the European defense industrial and technological basis if we do not that there will be consequences for now and for the future we are ready to help to help you with the EU budget to do it collectively and to invest in the, the EDTIP. so at the end not all procurement from the member state may uh, be in the DTIB, but when we use the EU budget, this is to support the DTIB. So that's that's, uh, very clear. So I think it's more coordination. Inside member states, they need to know whether they want to support their, uh, they want to support the defense industry in Europe. I think this is what we, the the question that they need to answer. And if they want to have a, a defense industry in Europe, they need to invest in the defence, uh, the European Defence Industrial and technological basis. So it's uh, with ADFR, we are uh, telling them we are ready to put uh, money on the table for you to team up and invest in the DTID. Of course, there are additional uh, conditions that we need to be met. We have, as I said, used the EDF uh, blueprint. We are now discussing with member states the best way, you know, to make sure that all conditions are really adapted to the situation of. Uh, of the shells procurement, but uh, I think, uh, and again, uh, we are also trying with our award criteria to incentivize member states to go faster in their procurement processes. So it's not here problems with, you know, I would say the our regulation. Of course, will add new rules, but we are also asking member states to do the extra effort to also uh, streamline a bit their process and their cooperation.
2: Didier Burker. Yeah, so just uh, uh, on my side, uh, and, uh, I already stated that uh, multinational orders are, are very important from an industry perspective in order to, uh, to keep the production line open and to avoid uh, any production uh, stoppage and, uh, and, and restarts. So uh, we know that uh, today joint procurement is traditionally done mostly in NATO. It is new what will be done in EU. And I think it's, uh, it's really important uh, to see uh, what will be uh, the effect of EDRPA instrument. Uh, we believe in this instrument. We are in discussion uh, with uh, our own nations, with uh, some other potential uh, European countries, in order to refine some, uh, some business cases. And we see uh, some uh, appetite after, as I mentioned also, always the question is about uh, potential uh, red tape. And, and this is the reason why why we need uh, something uh, really uh, streamlined in order to uh, to have a significant effect. So, uh, so, so I think it would be a good test case. We need to focus on, uh, as I said, also on on clear priorities. Uh, and to see what will be uh, the effect of the, of the eu support but, but we believe in this instrument
1: uh yes on this point i mean i fully agree that uh, the, the the need to to uh, it's more than just streamlining uh, the way we procure hmm? i think uh, that there is a need for a fundamental overhaul huh? and uh, i because i mean i agree that diapa and uh, european programs should not bring additional uh, red tape uh, but most of the red tape also often lies with member states <laughs> so, I hope very much that European initiatives can help uh, to facilitate or to simplify uh, 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 national procurement procedures. I think this is uh, indeed very important. Uh, it's also important uh, I mean, because it covers it all. It's also very important with a view to this uh, famous harmonization of military requirements. Uh, It is, of course, much easier to react in a crisis like we face it now uh, if companies produce always the same equipment and not uh, having uh, 10 different uh, variants of the same equipment uh, because everyone wants to have its uh, national uh, extra on top of it. So from the scaling perspective, I think this could also be very important. And here I have some hope. I'm not totally convinced that EDIAPA has the, the critical mass to make a difference. Huh? But uh, here I find the idea of ADP ADIP is for me still a bit of a miracle. I don't know what will be in there, but the idea to have this uh, defense capability consortia. Mm, it may be an interesting opportunity uh, also to make sure that we achieve a difference here in this respect. Uh, again, it all depends on what this consortia would actually do. Mm -hmm. what joint ownership would actually mean. Uh, But I think this may be an opportunity here to to, to make things different. And in that respect, I may, uh, I apologize, Anne. I have a question for you, if I (laughs) may ask, because something that I find interesting, and again, I have no idea what it actually stands for, in the joint communication, there's also a mentioning of a joint, uh, whatever it is called, Defense Strategic Programming and Procurement Function. I mean, this sounds wonderful. I mean, it, it sounds as if it could make a difference, huh, with respect to the issues that we we're just talking about. Uh, can you shed some light on that? What that actually may mean? Yes, Anna, you can answer.
3: Okay. Uh yes, indeed. We mentioned, and this I would say this is maybe the last of the measure that was mentioned in the joint communication. And the idea uh, uh is 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 maybe also to um what we are doing now is uh, as you say the API is is focusing on short-term needs we want to have a deep to have a a, a more structured system to support joint uh, procurement but we also uh, see the need to have a more uh, um, common planning on, on procurement so this is the idea I think the proposal that we have put in the joint communication is not yet very precise but what we wanted to say is that you know if we really want to go for uh, something that is more coordination of demand and also really uh, industrial uh, strategy you need to to coordinate the different decisions you need to exchange on the priorities how you will procure how you will develop so this is this idea now I cannot give you more details because this is something that we we want to reflect on once we have you know also uh, started step by step to uh, have adepa and I, I agree with you adepa doesn't have uh, decides to revolutionize uh, the, the, the situation, but it's a test case. Are we going, is it going to work if we put EU budget to incentivize member states to team up uh, if they procure from the defense industry? See a bit how it works. We want to have deep, and here, maybe just to, to also uh, talk about uh, what you mentioned, the consortia EDCT, the idea um, ADIP will, will have, at, as it's called, it's VAT uh, waiver for joint procurement. And the idea to be able to have a, a, a general VAT waiver for the German procurement of defense product is to uh, go through this uh, new consortia that, uh, of member states because it's, it's, a, it's a solution that was um, used in the research field where you, we don't need to go for a revision of the VAT directive, which is unanimity. So it's a, it's a way to actually have a group of member states building a consortia and abiding together, and as you mentioned, broke also with a, a level of joint ownership. That's very important, otherwise you cannot be in line with uh, the, the VAT directive, uh, because, uh, and, and this is something that we want to develop as really a key element for a more stable and, and long-term structure, because I think it, it will be already a, a very good advantage for member state to be able to, to benefit from these VAT exemptions. There are already VAT exemption existing, for example, for international organization, but it's only if they po- uh, procure for their own purpose. Here, we want to have a VAT exemption that could apply to uh, common procurements of defense products. It will mean also that you have you n- will need a certain level of commonality because a common procurement does not only um, stop at the time of the actual procurement, but we, 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 we need to have here a form of common ownership, and we will detail how this could... Uh, which form this could take. Uh, this could take different forms, and this is something that uh, we want to uh, to put forward uh, in the in the coming month. Uh, and and also have. And I did, I saw. And I, maybe I take the opportunity, and then I will give the floor to the others. But I saw there was also a question on the uh, 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 in the chat whether EDP will also have some uh, EU budget element. This is our intention. We want to have this VAT exemption element, but we also want to have. The same kind of incentive as we have in EDIAPA to also use the EU budget to incentivize uh, cooperation uh, from member states when they buy from the uh, European industry. So we we will have several elements in EDIAPA. Uh,
0: Okay, thank you. Uh, Just a comment to say that it is I think this this idea of European programming, programming law is a really good initiative. But my fear is that uh, the decisions to, to today taken by some countries are so uh, urgent that uh, they are more in a national uh, uh, way of thinking than uh, in a European uh, way of thinking. Uh, if you take the 100 uh, billion euro uh, speci- uh, Germany spe- special fund, but also the French uh, new French programming law, uh, which are... Uh, Uh, the decisions are taken very quickly and uh, I am doubtful about the the coordination with this initiative. Um, A question which is uh, linked also to this question, what are the incentives to member states to invest more and better in future capacity that could take two to three years to ramp up instead of buying American uh, today? And perhaps it's also the question, do we have, in fact, at one moment, perhaps to to divide some some block of budget between short-term, mid-term, and long-term? Also, of course, I think that it is um, a sort of bureaucratic uh, uh, way to proceed, but uh, if we don't uh, have some rules at this level, uh, perhaps uh, we will have uh, only short term, short term, short term, and not uh, at the detriment of mid term and long term vision. Uh, and perhaps a question to uh, to to want to simply to precise the agenda of the edip uh,
3: Yeah, we don't have a precise date for the 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 tabling of the proposal by the Commission. We are now, uh, as you know, focused on 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 discussing a with member states, and and soon we hope with Parliament. Uh, but uh, it, it, it will be in the in the coming months that we want to, 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 to launch deep because as you say, DFI is really focusing on the most urgent and critical need, but we are very aware that we need also to, to prepare the medium and the longer term and not because and, and have a much broader scope, really a, a, a framework for all uh, common procurements and not only the ones addressing the urgency situation. So, but uh, I think what is important is also to see, um, you know, the, the the progress we make, we make uh, with DFA, Even if, again, DFA is not a precursor to EDIF, huh, because it, the scope is very uh, is very linked to the emergency situation. Uh, it's only, uh, you know, um, for the the most critical and urgent needs. Uh, but still, you know, the logic of uh, trying to incentivize member states to go uh, together it will be the same logic in edip so it's important also that we have sufficient feedback from from member states to be able to finalize our proposal for, for it
0: thank you no 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 other comments from didier or uh
1: maybe on the i can maybe something on the on the what is the incentive the first question <clears throat> which if i understand correctly the question is why someone should bother uh, buying American, uh, European, uh, if there's an US alternative already available and much faster available. Um, I mean, again, the thing is, of course, um, if you buy uh, outside Europe, uh, you again enter new dependencies, huh? it is as simple as that. Uh, and this is not necessarily a question of mistrust vis-a-vis the United States. Uh, um, again, when we think in terms of scenarios, uh, if you depend, you're not necessarily the first one in the line uh, if you need something. I mean, also the U.S. also would, uh, if need be, probably always uh, serve their own forces first uh, before they serve other allies or so. So again, I think we have to, to be careful with always entering into new dependencies. I mean, we are dependent today. Uh, the question is how long we want to stay dependent. I mean, we used to depend or we depend on Russia for energy. We depend on the United States for security. Uh, and the question is whether we want uh, to continue uh, in that uh, configuration or so. Um, but I mean, the answer is probably also different the question is, who is we uh, in that question? Uh, I think uh, one, the question is diff- different uh, for a member state who has an important defense industry on its territory. <clears throat> uh, and uh, as compared to a member state who has no or no important defense industry, in particular in Eastern Germany and Eastern Europe, for example. Uh, for them the question is whether they should wait for a European product uh, <clears throat> or whether they should buy American and here again you have all kind of other considerations coming into play uh, you buy from the US uh, you have other advantages huh? uh, financial uh, interoperability you have the political uh, commitment or so that you buy uh, so again I think it's there's no clear-cut answer to that huh? for me it boils down to the question of, of dependence uh, and again, also that question is different huh? from a different member state's perspective. Thank you. Uh,
0: that is a question of the coordination of uh, some suppliers which are located outside the EU and uh, UK and are suppliers of uh, EU uh, defense industries. How you you take into account this question?
3: I can try to 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 answer. I'm not sure I fully understand exactly what is asked, but just to um... I think it's related probably to EDF how we take this into account, or I'm not really sure. Um, because just to mention that uh, I, I said that in EDF we we ask that the contractors be uh, established in uh, in the EU as well as the the, the main subcontractors, uh, with certain exemptions, security-based exemption. We follow the same logic as in as the EDF. What uh, is important at the end is that uh, what will be procured thanks to the uh, support of the, uh, uh, I mean, we, we support the cooperation of member states with the EU budget is, is uh, coming from European industries um, and, 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 develop, and 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 produced in Europe. This is this is the, the, the main objective. So we have taken uh, the, the same logic as in EDF uh, to make sure that uh, the contractors are European uh, companies and that they will actually uh, produce uh, the, um, the product in Europe. Of course, you can have uh, input uh, supplies from outside uh, the EU uh, when it's, uh, we make a distinction between suppliers and subcontractors. For sub- the main subcontractors, we also require that they are uh, based in the EU and, and controlled in the EU with certain derogation possibility. And at the end, what is also important is that the products that uh, will be procured is free of uh, restriction from third country and third country entities to ensure the, the freedom of action. So this is, I don't know whether it answers the question, but this is the way we have uh, looked at uh, the conditions to be applied to uh, to contractors. It's the same logic as the, in the European defense fund.
2: Jean-Pierre, if I may, I think there is an important notion to, uh, to have in mind. This is the European Design Authority. And you, you, can, um, you can think that you can have a product with some equipment uh, assemblies, components coming from uh, non-EU but the key question is uh, does this equipment affect the European Design Authority or not and in the end affect or not the operational use of, uh, of the equipment so uh, I think you, you can agree on some um, to, to have a, a share of non-EU equipment uh, just if you are sure that this European Design Authority uh, remain in the end
0: so I will uh, I close this uh, w- webinar but I would, I hope it was uh, it was useful thank you uh, for the, your participation panelists I think it was very uh, very rich in, in information and in assessment of the, the situation uh, and also of course, Uh, Of uh, recommendation uh, uh, and also uh, some uh, uh, some decisions taken uh, in uh, for the future. So thank you, uh, thank you to all, and uh, see you for the the next uh, webinar of uh, AWS.